Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette. And today I have a career development episode with our guest, Dr. Emanuela Stanislaus. Dr. Emanuela is a multi-passionate professional who serves as a diversity researcher and consultant, doctorate coach, scholar, and podcast, podcast host of the Writing on My Mind podcast, through her consulting company, Dr. Emanuela Consulting. As a doctorate coach, she's on a mission to help women of color doctoral students get unstuck and reclaim the power they have over their doctoral journey. As a consultant, she uses the skills she's gained in her day job leading university career centers to help organizations identify and strategically implement anti-racist processes to recruit and retain diverse talent. Ah, oh, that's so great. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Emanuela. Thank you so much, Dr. Eva. I appreciate you having me and of excited course. to chat about yeah. career development. Me too. Me too. I think that this topic is much, much needed. And I'd love for you to start us off by sharing a little bit more about yourself, about who you are and what you do, and hopefully also a little bit more about your background and backstory. Yeah, definitely. I know the intro that you provided, you know, says a lot, but, you know, I just want to add a little bit of dimension, right? Because we're more than just our our bio, but, yes. you know, as you shared, I'm Emanuela. I go by Dr. Emanuela a lot on social, just because my last name is just so difficult, even though my first name is really long. But <laughs> I know, and I, I'm so self-conscious that I might be saying it wrong because of my Spanish pronunciation. No, no. You never say it wrong. Like I love the Spanish way of saying my name. Um, it's it just sounds like music. Like so, don't feel bad at all. Um, I. I, I don't say it that way because I can't roll all of my M's and L's the way that you do. <laughs> but, you know, um, I pronounce it Emanuela. Um, and I'm the, like an important piece of my story is that I'm the child of Samuel and Rosemary who were um, immigrants to this country. They um, migrated from Haiti to Brooklyn, New York, which is where I was born. And they came to this country, um, both at the age of 29, um, with just themselves. Um, and they had me a year after their journey um, to the country. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm a child of immigrants. And I am what is considered second generation American. A lot of folks will say like first generation, but um, kind of tied to my dissertation topic, I studied uh, the experiences of second generation Afro-Caribbean women um, and how 
They make a sense of their race, ethnicity, and gender within the context of attending a Hispanic serving institution. And during my research, I found the difference between what makes a first generation, a first generation, and what makes a second generation, a second generation. And so um, I'm second generation American. And so can can you (laughs) a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are children of immigrants Uh are themselves first gen in college some Mm -hmm. of them um may be first gen or second gen in the u.s and so Mm -hmm. can you expand a little bit more on that just to clarify for those that are like their ears are perking up when you say that (laughs) yeah there's there's actually multi-generations like and of course scholars have to define things right and so like there is this tension between how scholars define things versus how people define Mm, right themselves right there's always this battle about like oh do you call um you know do you call and I'll just use the you know Latinx community like does the Latinx community call themselves Latinx or do they call themselves Hispanic right there's always Mm -hmm. like this tension about like what people call themselves versus what scholars and researchers um say but in the research a first generation American would be those who first came to the land, right? Mm, so yes. then my parents would be considered first generation. And then the the child that they have here on the land would be what would be second generation. And so yeah. some folks will just say first, you know, whatever. But then also there's this piece of like, um, depending on the age that you come um, to the United States, mm-hmm. um, depending on if one parent is an immigrant versus one being, you know, a, a person from that country, mm-hmm. um, right? But I'm talking U.S. context here, like you would be considered 1.5 um, yes. generation, like there's so many uh, levels to it. And so that's that's kind of the difference. So when you think of going to college, you're the first one to go to college, which would make sense that you're first generation, right? And I've heard of the 1.5 gen in college as well. (laughs) For those Uh who have parents who went to college in other countries. So it's just interesting, the differences, the nuances in how we define first, second, and even continuing generations. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. So that's why. And so like, even in my work, I had to like, kind of share that information and and definition with others. But I definitely understand that folks will call themselves how what they feel comfortable, right? And there's no wrong or right. Um, But based on the literature, that's that. So um, in addition to that, I consider myself Haitian American, because my parents are Haitian. And you know, I that their experience informs who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my parents, they also have experiences being entrepreneurs um, when they were in Haiti. Um, my dad learned to uh, be a tailor um, and taught many folks in his, um, in his uh, city how to sew in an effort to support their families. My mom also did all types of things um, in in terms of selling goods, you know, things like soap, right? Deodorant, things like that, that happens in um, developing countries uh, where people need different things. And so, um, you know, 
that's part of me. My dad um, had a full-time job um, when he came to the U.S., but continued to sew um, and make his own clothing and and do things for other folks. Um, and so he was always working on some type of side gig, which influenced me in a lot of ways, which is why, you know, I consider myself a multi-passionate um, person. And um, even while I was in college, I worked multiple jobs. Um, most of it was because of the need, you know, my parents mm -hmm. didn't have a ton of disposable income to support me while I was in college. So I worked in retail, I worked at Express, uh, and the, but then, oh, and then I had multiple on-campus jobs too, but mm -hmm. then I found the value of um, being involved. So I was involved in Greek life, um, student government, lecture series, bringing various people to campus to um, talk about different things. And then eventually I found the life, the life hack of uh, becoming a resident assistant. Um, wait, 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 life hack? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why that was a life hack for me, because instead of working three jobs, I could work one job mm -hmm. because on my institution, being an RA meant that you had your own room for free. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to pay for that. And then I got a paycheck on top of that. So it bought time for me. I was able to get even more involved. I was able to um, do other things and not stretch myself um, too thin. So I would definitely recommend that folks <laughs> go that route. And so um, when I did that, I did that for two years. And um, at the end of like, well, close to like the midpoint of my uh, senior year, my supervisor kind of sat me down and was like, oh, what do you, you know, what you would um, do great at? And I said, what? And she goes, student affairs, higher education. And I'm like, what is that? I have no idea what it is. But eventually through research and that sort of thing, I was already engaged in higher education through all of my involvement and things mm -hmm. of that nature. And so that kind of um, led me down this other track of um, going towards higher education, which is where my background is. And so eventually went to get my master's degree in higher education, um, got an assistantship in, in residence life, which is a continuation of the RA piece where I got housing for free. And I said, <laughs> if I don't get this, I'm not going. I'm not going to college. I never thought I would go and pursue my graduate degree. Um, and so now that I'm doing this and, you know, my parents don't necessarily understand why I'm going to do this, you need to go out graduate and make money, mm -hmm. right? That um, you're hesitating or you're putting your life on hold for, you know, two years to to do this thing. And so I took the chance. I only applied to one position, one grad program. I also put all my eggs in one basket to um, get that assistantship. And I got it. I got it through networking through uh, folks that I knew through my uh, job as an RA and their connections to the program. And then from there, you know, I spent 17 years in higher education in both res life as well as career services uh, and then earning my doctorate in 2020. Um, and so, you know, that is kind of uh, my story. That is such a great story. I am actually curious if you could um, tell us like 
What did you have in mind in terms of your career options before learning about student affairs? Like when you went into college, did you have an idea in mind of what to major in, what career direction you were going to head into? I love that question because it, it's all related to career development, right? Um, I don't, I, I think that I changed my major so many times, not officially because back in the day you had to fill out paperwork mm -hmm. to do that. Like now, you know, it's easy. Folks mm -hmm. could just click a button and That's whatever. Nice. Right? <laughs> you don't have so to run nice. around and get all these signatures. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. But I'm old school. So I had to get the paperwork, stand in line, and then, yep. you know, get somebody else to do it. And the dean has to sign off on I it. I think that's why I didn't change majors. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. The headache. Uh, these Gen Zs don't know, like, what the world was like before that. So um, initially, when I first came to college, I wanted to be one of two things. I wanted to go into sports medicine or be a child psychologist. And so... Oh, wow. Yeah, both things that would require an advanced degree, mm -hmm. but I did not know that at that time. And so um, one of the things that led me to the degree I ended up um, pursuing was um, one of the majors that I thought about was going into business because I thought mm -hmm. that was just broad. I could do a lot of things. And again, too, I always had this entrepreneurial like mindset, like, okay, I, I'll probably go into business. I'll probably own my own business one day, that kind of thing. And so uh, one summer I went home and I was doing some temp work at the port of um, Everglades. And so um, the port of Everglades is, um, I don't even know what it, what it is now, like if it's privately owned or whatever, but it was part of um, the city and it was managed through the city and that sort of thing. And so um, I was supporting them as an admin and back then again too, like, cause I'm old, uh, they had like a literal job board. It was a bulletin board <laughs> with <laughs> the jobs posted on there, what was available, that sort of thing. And, um, during that time I would look at them just to see, you know, I, I was like a sophomore in college, that sort of thing. And I would look at them and a lot of the jobs required, uh, bachelor's degree in business or public administration. And at the time I was struggling with, with business because they had, and still do, um, have this, uh, pipeline issue of the, um, what is it? Calculus for business, sorry. Calculus for business, which is a bottleneck and it's a way oh, to kind of, you know. quote unquote weeder classes. Exactly. Mm, okay. <laughs> yes, which, you know, we're looking at you higher. That is not no. fair what yeah. you're doing because we know what happens anyway. Who it, so, <laughs> who it pushes out, we know that, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so um, because of that, I was like, okay, I need to find an easier route. And I had not thought about public administration at that time. And so I'm like, oh, okay, that is probably something equivalent, right? That could get me into like the public public sphere if I wanted to, and maybe I can use it to get into um, business as well. So that is what I did. I declared my major in public administration. I saw that um, my institution had that major and I minored in entrepreneurship um, oh, at that time. Hi. Like no one knew what entrepreneurship was, but that was my um, thing. And so I really wanted to, at that time, go into being a lobbyist. Um, so I wanted to go full on into the public um, sphere, but I didn't, you know, I didn't explore that. I mean, there's still time I could definitely look at that, you know, in the future, but yeah, that was what I wanted to do. 
I appreciate you sharing this, uh, like your your background, because it's so telling about like where you are today and also how thoughtful and strategic you were about considering your major and its um, implications for your career options. Uh, so that that's great because I know I was not very, I was not as thoughtful in my in my own um, major options, and I wish I had known. Actually, I I have a quite the opposite experience in that my I grew up watching my mom being a business owner, an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. She has her own religious article store, Botanica, and um, seeing her struggle, even though she's her own boss, has her own schedule. I was like, nope, I'm going to get a nine to five. I'm going to have a stable paycheck. <laughs> I no, 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 I'm not going to do what she does. And um, I'm just laughing at myself because growing up, I was always like, I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm not going to be. And now as I get older, I'm more and more like her. Look at that. Isn't that weird how life works and, and yeah. how you can be so close to something and you see it like not as something like that you want to pursue right and so yeah. like I had the opposite and I'm like no I want to go the entrepreneurial route yeah. but you know I will say this too which is an important part of, of my story I got connected with the university career center pretty early That's on right yeah I I was one of the folks who like I wanted to use every service that I possibly could um and the career center was one of one of those for me, I was lucky. And I know my story isn't the same for a lot of folks where um, I connected with a career advisor who um, uh, he was a black male and he could understand my point of view, um, my background. And I didn't feel um, like I couldn't be my whole self. Yes. Um, right. And so all of those kinds of things really helped me to feel um, comfortable in sharing what I wanted to do um, and just seeing value in the resources. And not too many people get that um, experience. And I know because yeah. I've led various university career centers and um, a lot of folks, students have a hard time connecting with the career center. Career center staff tend to be mostly white, mm -hmm. um, older folks too. And um, if you don't see folks who look like you, or if you go and you have a bad experience, or you feel like you have, you can't bring your full self, then you're never going to go there. You're not going to see value in, in that space. And so um, early on, I connected with that career counselor. And then as a, a resident assistant, I would bring him in for programming that I would do for my residents on like interviewing skills, That's resume great. writing and things like that. And so I tried to, you know, pay it forward to um, some of my residents and things like that. So uh, I would go to different college campuses with my friends and I would go and stop at the career centers and get all of the booklets that they would have because I just thought that they all had different things, but it was really one vendor, but they yeah. would put like the university branding on it. <laughs> but I know because... Me. I had a similar habit. I loved collecting booklets and handouts and even created lots of binders. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like that was like actual, a like, <laughs> I was like, no, oh. not digital. Like everything was, was <laughs> papers, <laughs> paper and it. binders. It's so funny. Um, well, this is, this is so fitting. Uh, and actually I, it's, you're reminding me of 
this is the importance of representation, representation of the spaces that you're in there because you saw someone that you yourself could relate to, could feel like you could express yourself. You were able to get access to resources and information to benefit your career. And mm -hmm. so it's great to have you on because uh, to talk about career development, because for me, when I think about career development uh, in relation to undergraduates and graduate students, those are the folks that primarily listen to this podcast, there's, it's not a, a topic that's commonly talked about. Mm -hmm. There is this assumption in a lot of, um, I guess a lot of, a lot of students uh, hold this misconception that when you go to your graduate program, they're going to deliver everything that you need to know to get the career that you intend to do. Like, isn't that why I'm getting my MSW? Mm -hmm. So I, so they can teach me and help me get that job mm -hmm. as a social worker. Isn't that why I'm becoming a, I don't know, getting an EDD to become a professional in higher in education? Or isn't that why? You know, you can go a number of different directions with your advanced degree and there is this assumption and some programs more practical more applied programs may provide some of that they may have a coach they may have internships but um more often than not they they don't and so for those that are listening to this and this is their first introduction to career development 101 what is career development and how is it different from the type of professional development that they might get in a graduate program, especially like master's, PhD programs? Mm -hmm. I love that question. And I love what you said before that too. And I hope we can come back to it. Well, maybe I'll start the, the answer with that. Yeah. Like you are right on, like spot on where folks kind of expect that these programs, your university, your graduate program will have these things built in. And I will say, like, I was having this conversation with, with um, I think it was my husband the other day, like, really think about how often do you, or like when you've ever had a conversation about your career goals with a professor? Like, and, and had that conversation to where they initiated that conversation. I never had a faculty member, like sit down and ask me, what do you want to do? Like, and, and help me strategize, you know, where I want to go with the degree that I want to do and things like that. And so that's why I do what I do as, you know, a coach, uh, because I know that these conversations aren't happening. I have so many, you know, clients that I work with that don't know what to do. They choose majors, they choose programs, and they're waiting for the faculty or advisors to, to help them out and it never happens. And so um, that's why I think it's so important to take matters into your own hands um, and, and realize what the difference is. And so for me, when I think of professional development versus career development, professional development is really linked to skills enhancement. So a lot of times folks will say um, they want to learn about a particular software. And so when you're learning that particular software and the, the, the energy that you're putting towards that, that is professional development. That's mm -hmm. going to help you to 
um, get to your end goal of um, enhancing that skill, right? Whereas career development is really related to everything that is a part of your career. It's the whole package. For example, um, you might, like I said, we talked about the skills piece with the uh, professional development, but on the career development side, you might want to um, go from an entry-level position to a manager, managerial or a VP role, right? And so the career development piece is all of the steps that will take you to demonstrate your expertise, um, to set you apart from other folks, to establish and build your network, um, establish your brand, um, all of those things that help you to uh, show that you're a valuable member of the team or um, you're a valuable uh, asset that someone can hire you uh, for that is career development. And so a lot of us have to engage in career management, right? So it's, you know, how are you making sure that you're positioning yourself um, correctly? How are you making sure that you are internally having those conversations with yourself in terms of like, where do I see myself in six months? Where do I see myself five years from now? And then reverse engineering it to see what do you have to do to get to that point. Oh, right? you just mentioned a couple of phrases. <laughs> just like, hold up, hold up. This is good. So <laughs> you said first career development, then career management. Are those two in the same or are they different? Well, you know, personally, I think that they're different because, well, they could be similar in, in mm -hmm. some cases, but they could be different because you're, the management part is like, you assessing and seeing like, um, it's like the project management piece of it, yeah. right? But then the career development piece, that could be all of the steps that you're taking to to like accomplish yeah. the career goal that you have, if that makes sense. And then you mentioned reverse engineering and I'm thinking, hold up, hold up. I know <laughs> what reverse engineering is. I love it. <laughs> That's my jam. <laughs> but what is, what is reverse engineering for folks who maybe... Um, have not heard of it or they've heard of it, but they struggle with planning. They're like, wait, I I I had actually a client ask me this question. Um, oh, I've been I've been learning more about like uh reverse uh reverse planning or mm -hmm. or um reverse engineering. And I'm I'm stuck because I don't know um like how do you work from the end in sight if you have to mm -hmm. start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I have my own answer, but I'm curious, like, so yeah, <laughs> what is uh, reverse engineering and, um, and yeah, how does it apply to, to this whole conversation of career development? If you can just expand a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's a good question. You're right. And I think part of it is because I used to work with engineering students. And so like, I'm always like thinking about that. And so like, when you think about it, like engineers are always like tinkering, right. And they're trying to solve a problem. And so a lot of times that is that is done from the problem side, right? But then if you're reverse engineering, you're kind of, and I'll use the career uh, as an example. Mm -hmm. So like reverse engineering would be like, you see this for yourself, right? You're envisioning yourself five steps ahead, right? So I want to, I don't know. I want to be on... I, I'm, I can't think of an example right now, <laughs> but like, I want to be 
a manager. I want to go up one level. Right. Um, and so I am not in a manager role right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you want to work backwards to see how is it that I can get from this point to that point. And so the reverse engineering is like going steps back to say, like, these are the things that will potentially get me to that role. Right. And so thinking backwards from where you want to be, hopefully that's a good. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And also, you know, thinking back, we mentioned earlier about how in graduate school, career development isn't necessarily a priority and how professors will rarely, if ever, ask you about your career interests. They're not career coaches. Uh, But then also you might think, okay, when I go into my first professional job, I am going to have a manager who's going to keep an eye out on me and who's going to see how amazing I am and this is going to get me a promotion. And <laughs> I think this happens a lot. There's this, this, this conversation that goes on in a lot of our heads when we're, when we're especially when you're first, you know, first in your family mm-hmm. to enter these industries. But I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news in a lot of industries and across the field, there are a lot of managers who may not necessarily be trained to be great managers, to be trained to be watching over you and thinking about your career. They're worried about their own careers. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And even if they were, like it, it really is up to you and not for you to follow someone else's goals and dreams for you. Um, And so, yeah, I think that I'm glad that you mentioned the reverse engineering side of things because you can reverse engineer in any aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. It can happen in grad school. It can happen in your job. It can happen in any, you know, in your personal life too. So, yeah, yeah. you just bring up this whole point too that I definitely wanted to share too that I got caught up in as a first gen everything right Mm -hmm. um even first gen professional like working in a professional environment when my parents didn't nurse necessarily work in white collar you know types of environment um and couldn't really support me in in some of the experiences that I had but I really thought that meritocracy was like real and it Ah. really (laughs) Yeah, it really wasn't until like later in life, as I had my head down, buried, you know, doing good work, thinking that folks would um, recognize that they would reward that, that I realized that meritocracy is not real. And, you know, a lot of us, uh, especially children of immigrants are told that from our parents because they they believe that's what would happen um and then we see other folks who are less talented than us um, mediocre folks that are getting um ahead quicker than us they're um getting paid more than Mm -hmm. us we are um also given more work because we're diligent workers and Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like we're punished um in a way um getting additional work but not more pay to compensate for for that additional labor. And so I just wanted to stress um, that it's important for us to not go down that hole. And I think that's where career development and career management will Mm. help you to um, do certain things, um, position yourself in, in certain ways so that you can have those conversations. Don't wait for folks to have conversations with you. Tell them, 
this is what I want to do, or I want to grow. Um, what, what areas do you think, um, that I should work on, right? If you're not really sure of what direction you want your career to go, um, you can either share what you want or ask for more feedback so that you can kind of, um, you know, get to where you want to be. So advocating for yourself, speaking up, um, and not necessarily just leaning on what, what you're doing. Cause a lot of times it's not about that. It's about who, you know, the relationships that you're building and the story that you're telling about yourself. Yeah. And it brings me back to, you know, even what I shared earlier about what you do in your, in, in your bio, you're saying helping people to take back control or taking their power back. Um, that's, that's the career development aspect of it. And <laughs> I have, I have, I had questions that I wanted to ask you, but the conversation is so interesting because you mentioned storytelling and now <laughs> I, I, I'm like, okay, let's talk about storytelling <laughs> because I, I do think that that's very important and that's something that everybody might think about, especially if they don't come from a humanities or social science background where they're not necessarily taught about the importance of storytelling in our career. So can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah. So I think it's really about the, the, the way that you are thinking about the way that you brand yourself. So I strongly believe a lot of times I'll, I'll talk about it on the podcast or, um, you know, share it with, uh, my clients that branding is important. And when we think about branding, you know, you can think about like some of your most favorite brands, right? Whether it's some of my favorites are like Apple, um, Target, Sephora, like all of these brands um, make you feel a certain way. They make you um, spend money, right? (laughs) Like branding has the power to move people. And so you have to think about what you want to be known for. You have to think about um, where you want to go, which is why that reverse engineering is so important. And so like, if you want to be known for X, you have to start talking about X. You have to Mm -hmm. start sharing how much you know about X so that um, that's a part of your story, right? Because um, that you're talking about X, Y, and Z. Like for instance, I'm talking about career development and I'm sharing my story around how I got to know about career development, how I worked in career services, why why I think it's so important for grad students, especially because of the traps that I fell into with Mm -hmm. um, meritocracy, how faculty weren't there for me when I thought that they um, would be. And, you know, how that now is leading me um, to talk about it on my podcast, to put out a book too. I I do have a book that's um, an ebook that's going to be coming out specifically geared towards career development for graduate students, because I think it's so important that, um, we get this information in the hands of first-gen students, of students of color, um, because all of us don't have it, right? We don't have it. A lot of folks don't really share it. If they know the information, they kind of hoard it. And so um, that's why, you know, I think 
you know, it's so important to uh, be able to share our stories because through our stories, we can share our expertise, we can brand ourselves and we can get what we want. We can get the career that we want and not necessarily um, feel like we're stuck. Um, we're stuck in, in a particular, you know, career path. And I really feel like when you understand your personal branding, you understand your mission, your vision, your goals, your values. It's, you know, like you're set up to land a job that's going to be in alignment. That's going to, you know, bring, bring you some sort of, I don't know, pleasure, joy, yeah. <laughs> meaning. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I, you know, I never think of purpose, but it's like, what problems do you want to solve? Right. And so like in the book too, like I, it's so funny that you talk about your mission. So thinking about the values that you have, what you want out of a organization that you join, join, um, what do you want out of your supervisors? All of those kinds of things are important before you start the job search process, mm -hmm. right? That's even important before you uh, think about going into grad school as well, right? Like career development starts before you you um, submit the application. Right. You want to do your research. Like what, what is it that you want this degree to do? What type of lifestyle do you want? How is this program going to get you there? Really doing research on the faculty too. Like, is this the right set of faculty that can get me to the goal that I want? And then once you apply or when you're applying, you're looking for positions, not positions, but programs and faculty that will get you what it is that you want, right? And then before you start, you can create the plan. You can create a plan of action that will help you get the career that you want, right? So once you step foot, you, whether it's uh, maybe you want a community, you want to build that network. So first off, creating a support group of folks, maybe you meet um, bi-weekly or whatever the case is, support each other with your writing goals, your reading goals, um, network and, and potentially collaborate on projects, uh, maybe writing articles, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, sit down with your faculty member, ask those critical questions. All of those things are going to help you to plant the seed to help you to get to the end goal that you want. You also mentioned earlier that, you know, not everybody's open with, with sharing some folks, definitely gatekeep information. Uh, but in, in light of sharing, I'm curious about, you've been sharing a lot, but are there any other things that you wished you knew about career development um, and career management, personal, the all this conversation, personal branding, um, designing the life that you want. Um, what are some of the things that maybe you you wish you knew when you when you were in grad school or even in undergrad? Mm, that's a great question. I think I come back to that whole meritocracy. Oh thing, my goodness, yes. Right. If I would have known that earlier, because I knew all of the other things. I knew branding. I knew how to set up my resume. I knew how to job search. I knew how to examine a job description and, and, and help that to help me craft my story and why folks should hire me over someone else. But I wish I, I 
knew the meritocracy thing because I think that kind of um, competed with all of the other information that I knew, right? And I'm sure Gen Zs and younger millennials got the lesson sooner than I did. But as a first-gen college student, Mm -hmm. like I said, um, you know, I was just trying to navigate things and and managing what my parents shared um, with me too and what I thought would work out. Um, You know, that was something that kind of burned me. And so um, I learned the hard lesson, um, you know, that uh, a lot of times it's not who you, what you know, but who you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, that's kind of tied to like maybe another lesson to of, of the power of networking. Mm -hmm. So whenever possible, um, you know, getting out there, expanding your network, um, because I've even seen personally, like the value of how knowing someone and them knowing what you bring to the table can bring opportunities that you may not have been exposed to um, in the past. And, you know, there's a stat too about that 70% of jobs that are posted, sorry, 70% of jobs aren't posted. And so a lot of times it really depends on who you know. And so, um, you know, I think with that, it might make sense to share like some recommendations because a lot of times like folks are like, what do I do with that? But like, you know, um, talking to uh, faculty outside of class classes, talking to your classmates outside of the class setting as well so that you can build um, trust and that sort of thing. Uh, attending an alumni um, event, right? Uh, those are great ways for you to talk to other folks and and kind of share what you want. Uh, so yeah. having goals that are tied to your networking event that you're going to, and this and is doing place- that early on too. Yes, <laughs> because yes. I, I wanted to mention this as an example. I know that a lot of folks will think, "Well, I need to network as soon as I'm ready to apply for the job, and then tell people that I'm applying for the job." But um, one of the the best networking individuals that I know was one of my former mentees. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Jamal. I love that recently he went on Twitter. So he's got this big following. He's very good at networking and was like, the time has come. I'm going on the job market. Oh, so, wow. Okay. And then just like a whole like thread of like his background, his you know experience, blah, 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 links to some of his work. And a bunch of retweets. And I thought to myself, this is it. This is such a great example of someone mm-hmm. who has been building up the network and then lays it all out when, when he's ready. And and again, if I could go back in time and do things a little differently with more kind of strategy in mind, more mm-hmm. being more kind of thoughtful, considerate about these things. I would have put myself out there a little bit more. I did not. And I don't I don't know how many folks are are actively putting themselves out there um, right now because maybe they're putting it off. It's there's so much, everybody's so busy. Um, and they think they have time, they have time, or they're just too feeling shy or introverted or mm-hmm. or intimidated, or, or there's so many things that can get in the way from networking, but hopefully you and I can remind them that it's worth it. (laughs) It is worth it. And if you go with goals, because I'm introverted, a lot of folks don't know that I I like, I can stare at a wall, I could just be at home and just, 
get all of my energy from there. And so when I, before I go to a networking event, I have goals. I'm like, okay, I want to speak to three people and I want to make sure that I share about X, like this is my goal, or maybe I have a person that I'm wanting to meet there mm-hmm. specifically. And so I, I think that I thrive more when I have those goals, because once the, that three is met, then I feel like a sense of ease, like, okay, the pressure is off. I already, you know, did like I achieved the goal. Like I, I love like checking things off my list. Yeah. So going there with a goal, a lot of times will help you like if you just go there, sometimes you just feel like you're, you know, aimlessly like walking around or like maybe you're staying with the same people, you know, all of those kinds of things. So I would definitely encourage folks to go in with goals, then follow up with the folks and, you know, build a relationship before you need it, just like your, your mentee. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, I feel like you shared some really, really great tips and you shared a lot of insights about like, what you wish you had known. Uh, do you have any other words of advice for first-gen students of color who are, you know, just curious about the topic of career development, still trying to navigate where they're going in their career, especially for the folks who are feeling a little lost who are, mm-hmm. or who may be not lost, but they just are multi-passionate <laughs> <laughs> and don't realize it. <laughs> right. Any words of advice for folks yeah. like that? <laughs> Well, for my multi-passionate people, don't be down on yourself. You do not have to have one thing that you like. Um, And this is said as someone who, uh, you know, and I didn't share this earlier, but I used to be a wedding and event planner. I was a travel blogger. Um, I was working in career services and now I have my consulting business. And all of these are a part of me, you know what I mean? And so you grow, you evolve and and that sort of thing. So there's nothing wrong with that. So I wanted to make sure that you all know that. Um, The other thing I would say is that it's never too late or early to start working on your career development. And so, you know, I think that there's so much advice that I really want to share. One of them that I would share is, um, I know this is the Femme Touring, you know, podcast, right? And so, you know, it's super important to to have mentors. Mm -hmm. However, I think one thing that we need to kind of think about is this whole concept of having a personal board of directors. And so when you think of like, right, (laughs) I didn't invent that. So I just wanted to share that. Um, I, I heard about this topic um from a keynote um speaker maybe about uh 12 years ago at a conference and I, I've just held on to this and have been on my soapbox um just <laughs> trying to share it with other folks and so the idea is around um you know corporations organizations they have their board of directors and the board of directors are there to help steer the organization to accomplish its goals. And the personal board of directors is the same thing. So instead of a lot of folks, especially first-gen students are thinking like, oh, they just have one mentor. But with this, you would have, uh, I would recommend between like six and eight people who are from different backgrounds, gender, age, um, experiences, not necessarily all in your industry, and these are folks that you can call on to um, give you advice uh, throughout your career. You may have um, folks who are there to give you like personal advice. You might have folks on there to give you advice um, 
on, you know, your career or navigating um, different types of settings. And so the idea is that you're not calling on one person all of the time, but you can rotate it and have folks um, who can um, help you along that journey. And so connecting with them face-to-face over the phone or um, through, uh, I don't know, with emails, uh, helping them to know like, you know, what's going on with you, having a different checkpoint um, so that they know what your, um, what your interests are, what your goals are, and can help you however they can. Now, the other side to that, that I like to kind of uh, encourage folks to do is to not just be uh, like the person just taking, 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 but also giving too. And you have skills that you can provide your board of directors that can help make their lives easier. And so I would say, see how you can uh, support them and what they want to do so that it's a two-way type of relationship. So I would totally uh, recommend that. I mean, among other things, but for sure that. I really like that because- I also think that that relates to another common misconception in graduate school, which is that you will have a mentor, paired, be paired with a mentor or advisor that's your like go-to for all things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like to remind people like your advisor is not going to be perfect and they're not going to be able to help you in all areas of your career and profession. And it's useful to have multiple people you can count on, reach out to. It also helps you, you know, have a better perspective because you're getting different inputs as opposed to just relying on, on one person's opinion on something. So exactly. I, I really like that. The personal board of directors. Yes. Now, okay, we're getting close to wrapping up. So do you have any other closing words? I know you said you have a lot of a lot of words of advice. You've shared a lot already so just curious if there's anything you want to leave our our listeners with yeah I think I'll probably leave you all with like two things that I probably haven't talked about before and one of them is LinkedIn I think it's super important for everyone to be on LinkedIn that's a natural easy way for you to establish your brand Um, you know, make sure you have a good headshot, um, go on there, have like a compelling way to describe yourself as well as your experiences, um, connect with folks, start conversations. I would say that is one, uh, tool that a lot of first gens are kind of like intimidated by, but I would definitely encourage you to do that and connect with me if you want. Um, so that is one piece of the career um, development piece that I want to share. Another piece too that I think is super undervalued is the power of informational interviews Mm -hmm. to help you with your career goals. (laughs) So, you know, you've heard. I sound like a broken record because I say that to like everybody. (laughs) And and people think it's just for industry. I'm like, no, for grad school too, for higher ed too. You want to become a professor researcher. It's important too. For everything. Yes. Please do that. If you don't do anything else, Mm -hmm. I have had so many opportunities come up because of informational interviews where you can like plant the seed for what you want. These are great for establishing support, exploring potential paths, interests, um, and expanding your network. Um, Like I said, I use this 
all the time. So, you know, try to identify folks that you would want to meet with. Maybe it's someone that you look up to. Um, maybe it's someone that potentially that you would like to have on your personal board of directors. Um, maybe it's for grad school too, like we, you know, talked about. And the idea is that you can sit down with them 20, 30 minutes, learn about their career director trajectory, mm -hmm. um, ask important questions that can get you to learn more about either their career path, because maybe you have an interest in that or a particular industry and, you know, use that to kind of share what you want to do. And maybe, you know, that can open up the door for you to meet someone else because you can end it off by asking like, oh, is there someone else that you think that I should speak to that can help me to, you know, do X or help me to get a, a better grasp of Y. So those would be two things that I really want to stress to grad students, first-gen students to take advantage of. You came here with all the gems. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say to everybody, you're welcome. <laughs> Brought on Dr. Emanuela, who came in to share a lot of valuable lessons with everyone. So for folks who resonated and who want to follow you, be in touch, connect, listen more to you, your podcast, tell us a little bit more about how folks can reach you, how they can listen to your podcast, and maybe even how they can work with you. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. I love talking about career development. That's <laughs> I feel like such a nerd because <laughs> I really love talking about these things too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. And so if if folks want to um follow me, I'm on most social media as um at Dr. Emanuela. That's D-R-E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L-A. -E I'm most active on Twitter, Instagram, and getting on TikTok as well. I'm on in um I'm on LinkedIn as well as Dr. Emanuela. Um, if you're a graduate student or um anyone interested in learning more about the doctoral journey, uh, I definitely invite you to check out my what uh my podcast, which is Writing on My Mind where I have revealing conversations with um, folks who have either completed or are pursuing their doctorate uh, degrees in an effort to help current graduate students to, you know, level up, as I shared. Um, and so I'm a qualitative researcher through and through and believe in the power of stories, like to help us liberate ourselves. And so that's why we have you know, those conversations. And then as I shared before too, I have the career development book for graduate students that will be dropping in October, October 10th. And so um, I'll definitely share the link um, with you, right. Dr. Yes. Yvette. So we that, will add it. <laughs> <laughs> yay, so that folks can um, get that when it does drop, we will be having um, pre-sales of that as well. The book will talk a lot about what we kind of talked about today, um, but give like practical um, steps and tips for establishing your brand, um, you know, looking at how you set up your resume for um, the job search, uh, how to expand your network as well. Um, and so like some advice, but then also workbooks or uh, workbook activities too, to help make that process 
um, easier. And so if anyone wants to uh, connect with me, they can visit my website as well, which is dremanuelaconsulting.com. I have coaching available as well as uh, come out to different institutions to talk about topics such as this. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Emanuela, for coming today to the show, for sharing all these amazing gems, for, I feel like, just having a fun chat with us uh, today. It was so great to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school fem touring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtouring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Fan Touring. Thanks again and until next time.